I heard it well. I don't know if you had another quarantine coming. Did you have a quarantine? Yeah, back three days. Wow, during your vacation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And uh, BSU. Wasn't too bad just because of Again? It wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Because it's locked Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, if you're locked up with people you like, it's probably not, not, not that difficult. So, you know, you're stuck. <laughs> okay, anyway, I uh, hope everybody's well. And Bezrat Hashem, you should remain healthy. And uh, everyone should be healthy. Call Yisrael, the whole world. Okay. So I thought uh, today, it's a little bit of a random uh, thing, but since we're in the month of Shvat, and the month of Shvat is Tu B'Shvat coming up, so I thought we would spend a few weeks about um, environmental issues, the issue of how we, how we connect to nature, uh, some different halachas about plant life and some different halachas about animal life. So it's kind of a little bit of a uh, separate uh, type of discussion, although we're, we obviously didn't finish all the stuff we were talking about, but we can leave it for, for a while. Uh, I want to start off really with three things I want to talk about today, and each is going to be relatively brief. Uh, one is vegetarianism and Judaism. What does Judaism say about vegetarianism or vegan, whatever you are? Simchoni or tivoni. In Hebrew, there are two different words. Uh, the second issue is... Tivoni is vegan? Vegan, yeah. That's correct. That's good. Simchoni is a regular vegetarian, and tivoni is beyond. And of course, there's many extremes. Once you get, once you get into this, there are more and more extreme versions of everything. Some people are fruitarians. They only eat fruit. They don't eat vegetables. Because they only eat, and they only eat fruit that falls from the tree. Not that they will not pick it, or they will not eat something that was picked. They'll only eat things that fall by itself. Because they feel that picking a fruit is, is a form of killing, uh, killing something growing from the tree, uh, and the like. And then you have other people, different mi- macrobiotic diets. They don't eat mushrooms, you know, nightshade uh, vegetables, eggplant, uh, and 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 the like. So there are many. Once you get into this world of um, eating habits. Oh yeah, and then there are people who only eat raw food. They don't eat anything that's cooked. That's a separate thing. But that's because of health. Yeah, that's health. Those are health issues. So at that point, once you get into the different opinions, it gets a very complicated shulchan aruch of alternative uh, eating styles. But let's just focus on uh, the most common alternative eating style, and that is vegetarian. Now, we know, of course, that the Torah permits us to eat meat. Uh, and the Torah gives us a way of preparing meat. The Torah says uh, only animals that are kosher, and kosher animals are uh, for uh, for animals. Uh, it would have to be uh, chew its cud and have split hoofs, right? You know, you know. Actually, everyone knows the phrase "chew its cud." I want to be sure everyone knows what chewing cud is. Actually, chewing cud basically is that ruminants, animals like uh, cows, sheep, and goats, have multiple stomachs, and the way it works is. When they chew food, they swallow it, it goes down to stomach number one, it gets pulverized, then it gets regurgitated back into their mouth, uh, and they swallow it again, and then it goes down to a second stomach, etc. So it actually goes through four stomachs, and it comes up four times. So the phrase chewing cud, which in Hebrew, in the Chumash, is male geirai, brings up that which is chewed, is... Uh, Basically, it's uh, kosher. You know, kosher animals have to have that characteristic. Uh, that is why we can't eat grass. How come a cow can eat grass and I can't eat grass? Because I don't have I don't have the malegera. You need multiple stomachs. Grass is not naturally digestible. 
But if you have so many stomachs and it goes up and down, up and down, up and down, eventually it gets digestible. And that's mala, that's mala geira. So simon number one for a kosher animal is it chews its cut. And simon number two is the hoofs. Again, I know you know this, but I'm just saying it to get, to get us down to a common foundation. Its hoofs are split like it's two different feet. So for example, a horse does not have a split hoof. A horse has a single hoof, and a horse also doesn't chew its cud. So a horse is treif because it lacks both things. Interestingly enough, a chazer, this is a very interesting muster. Now, most people, even if you're not religious, most people kind of have a visceral dislike for pig. You know, pig is the most treif of all animals, chazer. But you know, a pig actually is, you could say, half kosher. A pig has split hoofs. Right, but it doesn't chew its cud. And Chazal say, that's called hypocrisy. It says, look at me, I'm kosher. And that's worse. The horse and the donkey are honest animals. We're treif. No pretensions. The pig is pretending to be kosher when inside it's treif. That's a real real problem. Right, so that's called male geira, is chewing cud. Mafris parsa is split hoofs. Now, is there a logic to that? Is there a reason why those animals are kosher and other animals are not kosher? Like what does chewing cud and split hoofs have to do with anything? Again, it's a big machlokas. Some, some commentaries say we simply don't know the reason. Others point out that ruminating animals, animals that chew their cud, are by definition herbivorous. They don't eat meat. And there is a concept that the food that you eat, you absorb some of the qualities of the animal that you're eating. So if you have an animal that's aggressive, that kills prey, uh, then you might absorb some of that cruelty. And therefore, the Torah basically allows animals that are not, uh, that are not meat eaters and, and, and the like. Now, those are the simonim for meat, for animals. What are the simonim? Simonim are the signs. What are the signs of a kosher of a kosher fish. So right, so there are two signs. It has to have scales and it has to have fins. So essentially, this is why shellfish is no is not kosher, oysters are not kosher. This is why eels are not kosher, even though they're fish, because they don't have scales. Now, uh, there is a machlokis sometimes about certain types of uh, species. For example, swordfish. Now it's true that today no Orthodox hashgacha certifies swordfish. The conservative movement certifies it. But if you go back a few hundred years, there was a big machlokas about swordfish because here is the problem with scales. Swordfish, very baby swordfish, have scales that you could move around, but then it, it, it merges, it, it joins together like cartilage. So the big machlokas is uh, if you had original scales that then kind of merged and fused, yeah, fusion is the word, uh, do you consider that to have scales or not? Okay, so that's for, that's for fish. Okay, now the Torah requires for animals shechita. Shechita means the animal has to be sla- slaughtered in a certain way, uh, right? So even if it's a kosher cow, a cow is a kosher animal, but I can't go into a, traf- a regular supermarket and buy a cow or chicken because it wasn't shechit, right? So there's a difference here. If you have a non-kosher animal like pork, that's called behema tamea, impure animal. If you have a kosher animal like a cow, 
that wasn't shechted, it died another way, that is called nevela. Now, we, we conventionally call it treif, but, but the technical term is nevela. Yeah. Right. Say again? Can you benefit from Yes, it? you can benefit from it, yes, yes. So you could feed, that's why you could feed nevela to your dog. You're benefiting, you're not allowed to eat it. Okay? In fact, you can benefit from chazer, you can benefit from the, yes, you can benefit from nevela. You cannot benefit from meat cooked in milk. That's a separate issue. But you can benefit from nevela, and you can benefit from behemoth tamea, and the like. Now, there's a third issue that has to be considered. Even when an animal is shechted, even when an animal is slaughtered, we have to examine its internal organs to see if there's any holes or rips or perforations, which would mean it wouldn't be able to live for a year had you not shechted it. And that's very important. Even if the animal is kosher, and even if it was properly shechted, I'll talk about shechita, I'll go back and talk about it in a few moments, we then, if there's any hole in its lung, or a hole in its kidney, or a hole in the membrane of the brain, or in the esophagus, that is called chirefa. You can benefit from that too. Same, same, thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. That is called chirefa. All the organizations, all the animals are trait, they still sell. Yes, that, that's correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. If they only sold kosher, they'd be broke. No, that's exactly. Like we eat meat that's like. You know what I'm saying? The no, so that's what lactose. No, no, one second. Sections. All the animals yeah. that are kosher, they sell. The ones that aren't kosher, they still sell. Yeah. Just not kosher. So, so uh, these are. Now. So these are three terms, right? These are three terms: behema tamea, nevela, trefa. Isn't yeah. Isn't this like where like glut comes in? Yes, that's exactly where glut comes in. Right. So this is where glut comes in. Uh, there are actually 70 different deformities that can make an animal trefa. But we don't check for most of them. We actually don't check because they're very rare. It's very rare that there'll be a hole in a kidney or whatever it is. But the one place where we do check, even today, is lungs. Because lungs often have uh, perforations and the like. And uh, there is a, it's called a bodek. There's a shochet, is the one that checks, and the bodek is the one that checks the lungs. Now, here is the problem. If there's a hole in the lung, the animal is non-kosher. It's, it's trefa. It has, it has to be sold to a non-Jew, non-Jewish slaughterhouse. But here's the problem. Very often on lungs, there is something that is called adhesion. And adhesion just means, right, if you look at a lung, think about lung has these different uh, lobes, and there'll often be some liquid gook that connects them together. In other words, a, a purely, a, a real healthy lung, an absolute healthy lung, which you'll never see, uh, literally it's like a backpack, all the different lobes shake. But typically there's gonna be adhesions. Now here's the problem. Adhesions create a suspicion that there might be a hole in the lung, and that's how fluid, li fluid leaked out of the hole and solidified. So, regular kosher, not glut, means the following. If we have an adhesion, we check to see if there's a hole. How do we check? We, with our fingernail or whatever it is, we very gently, you know, rub away the adhesion. And then we put the lung, now it may sound, may sound a little gross here, we put the lung in water, and the person blows the lung like the end of a bagpipe, and if there's a hole in the lung, there'll be a bubble in the water. If there's no bubble, no hole, kosher. That's regular kosher. Regular kosher means the lung had adhesions, 
but we tested it to see there was no hole. Now, what is called glot kosher is, glot in Yiddish just means smooth. So this was just kosher? Yeah, so plain kosher will do that. Assuming it's reliable, it may not be reliable, but if it's reliable kosher, it will do that. What glot, not glot just means smooth in Yiddish. In fact, the Hebrew for glot is chalak. Chalak means smooth. That just means if there's any adhesions on the lung, we do not check for holes. We assume there's a hole, and we will sell the animal to a non-Jewish source. Okay, that's glot kosher. Now, even in glot, there are different levels. You might see in restaurants, sometimes it says chalak beis Yosef. What that means is this. There is regular kosher, there is regular glot, and then there's super glot. So regular kosher is, if there's adhesions, you just scratch them away, and you do your bagpipe test in the water. That's regular kosher. Regular glot is that if there's any adhesions, you normally do not sell it at all. You sell it to a non-Jew. But if the adhesions are very soft and liquidy, that you can scratch away. In other words, they will allow soft lesions because they say that doesn't show so much of a leakage. Superglot, which is called Chalak Beit Yosef, this is the Chalak of Rav Yosef Cairo, is if there's any adhesion at all, you sell it to a non-Jew, right? So the best standard of glot is when it says Chalak Bet Yosef, but if it says Chalak, that's still better than regular kosher. Now, it's interesting that uh, although in many ways the generations have get, gotten worse and worse, right? We've gotten spiritually inferior, but once in a while, in certain areas, people become stricter. In Europe, many, many, many religious people were eating regular kosher meat. They were not requiring glut. But as you probably know, probably in the circles that you're in, uh, today, uh, more and more religious people, certainly Haredim, will only eat glot, either in, either medium glot or chalak beit yosef, and they will treat regular kosher as if it's treif. Now, that's not really fair, but that's... Ooh, what, no, 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 the rabbinut, no, 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 well, I mean, Haredi Jew, regular Haredi Jews. I'm talking about what you'll, what you'll buy, what you will buy. For example, the rabbinut. No, no, of course it's not, of course, of course it's not treif. Uh, for example, when people say you shouldn't buy things that are just plain rabbinut, well, there may be a lot of problems, but, 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 but on a very simple level, plain rabbinut meat, Meat under plain rabbinut hashkacha is plain kosher. It's not glut. If it's rabbinut mahadrin, it will be glut. Sometimes it'll be beis yosef glut. Sometimes not. You have to check that further. Okay, so it's not a question of being treif. Of course, it's not treif. Anything that the din says is kosher is of course kosher. But many many people are are very very strict on only eating only eating glut. Now, interesting, therefore, the word glot, kosher, can only apply to lung conditions, conditions of a lung. So there's no such thing as glot, kosher, pizza. There's no such thing as glot, kosher, fish. Because this only applies, even though you see the sign sometimes, this only applies to uh, meat. And not only that, it only applies to uh, 
to uh, beef or lamb. It does not apply to chicken, chicken or turkey, because with chickens, by definition, if there's any adhesions at all, we throw it away, meaning there's no, there's no level called regular kosher. By chicken, all chickens that are sold, all kosher chickens that are sold, are going to be glatt by definition. So there's no extra certification. I mean, glatt costs more money, right? There's no extra money that you pay uh, for glatt kosher, glatt kosher chicken. Okay? So that's the three categories about meat you need to know about. Behema tomea, which is pork, or shellfish. Then you have nevela, an animal was not shuchted at all. And then you have trefa, which are the imperfections in the internal organs. Now, once again, again, I'm really going to talk about vegetarianism, but I just want to give you an introduction about meat, so we'll move to vegetarianism in a few moments. Now, even after we take care of the shechting and we check the internal organs and it's not a trefa, there are still parts of a kosher animal that you're not allowed to eat. The most obvious, of course, is blood, and that is the process of salting that removes blood. Now today, in most kosher stores, the meat is salted already. So many, many people will grow up never seeing meat salted. But you know, that's a relatively recent thing. I, mean, I remember even as a kid, uh, my mother, Allah Shalom, salting meat, uh, including chicken and the like. Today, except for liver, generally speaking, the meat is already salted. In addition, there are certain types of fats that have to be removed. You never see them. Obviously, when we have meat, there's plenty of fat in the meat. But there are parts of the fats around the kidneys and the like that are trait. And they have to be removed by a very skillful butcher. So that's called chalev. Kosher fat is called shuman. And that's the fat that you see in your meat. Uh, Non-kosher fat is called chalev. Hopefully, unless you're a butcher, you never see that. In fact, you wouldn't know it if you did see it. I'm not sure I would know it if I would see it. What are two? Uh, shuman is, is regu the regular fat that you have in meat, which is kosher. But then there are certain portions of fat that you'll never see. They're removed by the kosher butcher. That's called chalev. It's really around the kidneys and the like. And the chalev is non-kosher. Chalev has to be removed. So a butcher is a very important job. It's not just a shochet. A shochet is responsible for killing the animal. But a kosher butcher has a lot of responsibility. He has to remove the blood by salting. He has to remove the chalev, which is not easy. Removing chalev is a skill. It's a, it's a skill that takes a lot of practice. And there's a third thing he has to remove which Bismana says is not such a problem, he has to remove the Gid Hanashe. Now remember what the Gid Hanashe is? Remember when Yaakov is fighting with the angel, the angel of Esau. So in the morning, Yaakov is finally victorious and the angel gives him a bracha, but at the end, the angel smote him in the thigh. Does Yaakov come to eat it? Well, uh, it might be, it might be. So let, let, let me just talk about huh? yeah. Sciatic nerve. It's the area of the sciatic nerve. Uh, and Yaakov was, Yaakov was limping. Now, the area that was this is called the Gid Hanasheh. The, therefore, the Torah says the Jewish people do not eat the Gid, the sinew, 
Hanasheh that was dislocated. Now that is a, if you ever looked at an atlas of, 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 of a veterinary atlas, an atlas of animal pictures. I mean, humans have it too, we have it too. The Gid Hanasheh is a huge, it's the largest nerve of the body. It's a huge nerve, actually it's two nerves that's on both legs, that goes down the whole, like from the spinal cord, down the whole leg, almost until the foot. It's a huge, huge nerve with many branches, many branches in the flesh. And what a butcher has to do is, a butcher has to dislodge that nerve with all the branches. That means he's cutting into all the meat that has these branches of the nerve, and he has to dig it out and cut it out because the Gid HaNasheh is treif. If you cooked meat with the Gid HaNasheh, you wouldn't be allowed to eat the meat. The meat is treif. All the branches have to be cut out. All the branches have to be cut out. The very sharp... And what if you're eating and you find a branch? Well, you... Well, well, most of us wouldn't know, but some, I mean, listen, sometimes when you eat meat, you actually hit gristle, you know, something really disgusting like that. Now, that is like nerve material and like, but, but, but you, you assume it's not the get on our chest. I mean, there are other nerves that sometimes don't get removed, which are kosher. They're repulsive, they're disgusting, but they are kosher. But the get on nerve is treif, is treif. And a good butcher rules. Now, let me just tell you one thing about this. This is very interesting. Because the Gid HaNasheh was very hard to remove, very difficult to remove, the minag among Ashkenazim in most places was they didn't remove it at all. They left it in the hindquarter of the animal and they sell the whole hindquarter to non-Jewish slaughterhouses. Do you realize what this is? This is one of the reasons why kosher meat is so expensive. Because if you're a kosher meat supplier, you have to buy a whole cow. But half of the cow you have to sell. You have to give away or sell. Because if you're not going to remove the git on again, the front half of the cow is not a problem. That doesn't have the git on But the whole hindquarter, the whole back half, or at least the back quarter, is treif. That's why there are certain meat cuts you cannot get kosher because the the steak cuts that come from the rump of the animal. What's the rump? The rump is the back back part of the animal. You can't have sirloin steak. Yeah. You can't have. I think you can have from from top part up. Yeah, but I'm ex- I'm explaining why. The reason okay. why. Yeah, yeah. In other words, there's nothing treif about the back half, but the problem is it has the gid and removing the gid is so hard that the most kosher slaughterhouses stop doing it. And that's why uh, you generally will not have steak cuts or meat cuts from the back half of the animal. That includes a rump roast, that includes a sirloin steak, that includes filet mignon. However, what's interesting is, in places where meat is scarce, there's not a lot of meat, they do go to the trouble of taking out the Gid HaNasheh even today. And that is why in Israel, they do. They do. In America, they don't. So, in spite, so in spite of the fact that the meat in America, in Israel, is not of the same quality uh, as, as as America, you can actually get more variety here than you can in America because they do. This is called nikor. Nikor is scraping out the gid hanasha. Nikor. It's a very big skill, it, uh, it's, and it's very very hard to do. Um, now. If you're rich in America, though, you can do a special order. Sometimes, in other words, if you're making a party and you want certain, 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 you want certain
kuf vav resh nikor nun yud kuf vav resh nikor is to dig out the gid hanasha okay so uh, so so that is a job at least among ashkenazic butchers that is not done in the united states but it is done in israel and it is done in in uh, in um, some European countries, and it is also done by many Svardim. Many Svardim still still preserve the Masaira, uh, but the average Ashkenazic kosher butcher in, in America may never have done Gid HaNasheh at all. He takes out chaylev. He still has to remove the chaylev, right? The chaylev and, and salt the meat, but he does not remove the Gid HaNasheh. In fact, the butcher never gets the Gid HaNasheh. The Gid HaNasheh is left, I mean, the whole hindquarter is left in the factory, and it's sold uh, to, non, uh, to non-Jews, okay? So that's, uh, yeah. Um, one, I'm very shook because I feel like I would lie to you. Yeah, and I'm always told that like, the bottom half the animal like, is stomach. Like, that's literally what well, I Well, th- that's, that's factually true, but, 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 but there's a reason for it. Because of the sand. That's correct. Well, that's crazy that people would just not even explain that to me. Well, I, I, feel, I feel bad for you. I'm sorry mm-hmm. they didn't. I'm glad you, can't, I'm glad you came today. Uh, yeah, the only problem with the, the hindquarter is the sciatic nerve. And also, so yeah. why did, did butchers have to go to like kosher training school? Like, oh, yeah. So it's a it's an apprenticeship, meaning you don't go to school, uh, but you but apprentice. Intense as being, uh, um, you have to get shochet. Okay, okay. So, so, so this is you know this is you're raising a very interesting question. If I want to be a shochet, I, I have to learn the shulchan aruch, and I have to learn halachas, and I have to be tested by by a rabbi, etc., and I have to pass a test. If I want to be a butcher. It's interesting. I'm not aware of that same type of supervision. Exactly. You're and, and you're 100% correct that uh, a butcher has a tremendous responsibility. Uh, salting the meat, okay, that's not so hard, but they're salting the meat, and uh, if, especially if he removes the git on that's very, very difficult. But even if he doesn't do the git on removing chaylev, see, this is a part of the thing that most people never even see. Yeah. But there's really parts of the animal that have to be removed, or the animal is, cannot be eaten like different types of fat, which is not the fat that you see in your, when you get the animal, but there's fat that has to be removed. Um, in fact, one is, uh, it's a harder fat, uh, whatever, yeah. Um, and just one more question. Um, I don't really know much about non-kosher meat, because before I was kosher, vegetarian for like 10 years. Yeah. But do non-Jews or whatever, non-kosher meat tend to have a lot of this, like people eat that? The sciatic nerve? Yeah. You know, they probably don't because because sin, sinews are, 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 are disgusting. But, but the sinews? Sinews like the hard material. You ever eat a piece of meat that's uh, very stringy? Uh, okay. When, when, you, when you hit it, you'll know it. It's, 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 it's a part of the meat that you feel like throwing up sometime when you bite into it. Uh, so most of the stuff is removed. Uh, yeah, so most of the sciatic nerve will be removed. But the only thing is... That they don't have to remove every little every, every little branch. In halacha, you have to remove so, every single branch. So this is a either. imagine a highway, a highway that has many little roads. The sciatic nerve is a thick nerve, mm-hmm. but then there are many many branches, and then branches of branches and branches of branches. Mm-hmm. So you have to take a scalpel, like a surgeon's scalpel, mm-hmm. and you have to follow it cutting through the meats, That's excavating. So you can, use, you can use an extra if you want. I don't, I don't think they do, but, uh, wow. but it takes a lot of skill. And you can also get mixed up because 
there, there are other things in the other nerves that are that are okay. So you have to be sure you're following the right the right one, etc. You can eat the other ones, yeah. Yeah, but sometimes you might lose your road, so to speak. You might be yeah. doing something and you're yeah. doing something else, yes. right? So that's the Gidon Hashem. But again, as I say, to repeat, uh, among Ashkenazim in America, they do not even remove the Gidon Hashem. They just sell the hindquarters to non-Jewish slaughterhouses. And uh, it's mutra bahana. You're allowed to get a benefit, financial benefit, by selling it to, to non-Jews. Okay, so a butcher is a big, is an important job. Yeah. Uh, butcher also should have a lot of. They don't make enough money. Um, okay, well, I think I think well, it depends. Some of them make a lot of money. Yeah. Some of them are like plumbers, you know. They um, more. You know, I, I knew. This reminds me of. Um, I knew a person who, in England, was a professor of physics at Cambridge University, and he came to full a tenured professor, and he came to Israel, and he uh, couldn't get a job in academia. So he became uh, either a plumber or an air conditioner repairman so, or something. Uh, uh, but he said he makes a lot more money. He said he makes a lot more money. Oh, than that. Well, well, okay. well, well, first of all, you know, that's not really true. You know, a plumber is, is, can be very yeah. very intelligent. There's a lot to, to understand. You know, about, but you know. like, he has so much yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know my cleaning lady yeah. um, was really a, a, a surgeon. But she needed to. Wow. She moved to London from Hungary. She was really a surgeon. She wanted to be a surgeon, like a big surgeon, as so relevant. But she um, yeah. needed to like first work for a few years, and then she could get a surgical license. So she was like a cleaner. Wow. She was like normal. Like she had a car. She was having nails done. Like <laughs> we were more like friends with her. There must, oh, be the, uh, there must be the must uh, be the the Guinness Book of World Records, the most uh, overqualified uh, cleaning uh, woman yeah. in the world. <laughs> okay, okay. So this is a little bit of how you prepare uh, kosher meat. Okay, everyone understands the general idea. Okay. Uh, so when yeah. you go into like a store, you have some, and it says kosher, but it doesn't say mahadrin. It's just like kosher. When it says kosher, the Mahadrin. So, so kosher mahadrin is another word for glut, I should say. Glut, and then kosher mahadrin, the mahadrin is baked yourself. Uh, you you got to check. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you got to check. Usually, usually that'll often be the case, but usually it'll also say chalak bet yosef. It'll say mahadrin mahadrin chalak bet yosef. Okay. If it doesn't say that, maybe you're not a hundred percent sure sure of that. Okay. Um, alrighty. So that's kind of uh, what's going on with meat. Let me just say a few words about shechita for a moment. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen an animal shechted. Actually, I, I, I have not seen that many. Like yeah. Oh, Kaparas, okay, you've seen Kaparas. Yeah. 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 Oh. Wow. Wow, okay, that, that's, 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 uh, that's so interesting. Really, so, so here's the thing, you know, this is a big issue now for, for many, 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 many years, and now it's, it's starting up again in the European Union. Uh, there was an accusation that shechita was cruelty to animals, that animals suffered very much when they were, when they were shechted. Mm-hmm. Now, you know who the world's greatest expert on what animals suffer when they, when they die in various ways is a professor, a woman, who actually has, is autistic. It's quite amazing. Uh, wow. Her name is Temple Grandin. And she's, quite, cool. she's quite amazing. Uh, she has a PhD. She's a tenured professor of uh, animal physiology or, or different things. And maybe because of her autism, it's not really clear. I mean, obviously her autism is not extremely severe, but she's able to 
able to uh, work in the world and you know finish her education, but it's almost as if she has an, an intuitive bond with the animals. She like knows what the animals are feeling. She uh, I, I don't know if she is, but but she's the, really the world's greatest expert, and she has studied shechita very very extensively, and she says that shechita is the most painless way of killing an animal, because when you sever the uh, the throat of the animal, the animal loses consciousness immediately, and it does not feel any pain. Uh, the only thing that animals that give, that give animals distress, though, is when they hear other an, they hear or they see other animals being killed. So the thing that agitates the animal is when they hear animals uh, or see animals being slaughtered. So she recommended that slaughterhouses be built in a way that no animal kind of sees any other animal getting getting killed. Kind of, they have uh, different blockages and like. Now, I have to admit, the slaughterhouses have not really, it costs money, they haven't really done all of her recommendations. Uh, but listen, a regular non-Jewish slaughterhouse is even worse. Uh, we kill by shechita, okay? How does a non-Jewish, uh, how do they kill in a, in a non-Jewish world? They take a sledgehammer. They knock it, bop it over the head. They knock, you know, crush its skull. Well, my guess is that hurts more. That hurts a lot more. And what do we do again? We shech. So what shechita is like this. The shochet takes a very, very sharp knife. The knife is extremely sharp. In fact, it is tested with his fingernail. He runs his yeah. fingernail over it. It's totally smooth. There is no nick in the knife at all. And then the underside of the neck, the soft part of the neck, not, not the back. Not, he doesn't break any bones. He simply runs it in a completely vertical, I'm sorry, not vertical, horizontal motion, back and forth. And that severs the, uh, that, that's... Can I ask, what happens yeah. if the, the, the guy who's shepherding the animal doesn't do it like he makes a mistake? Is that now animal considered... Mistake? The animal was not, it was, again, yes, if a mis and that happens. Well, if, a, if, if, if a mistake was made in the shechita, the animal was not shechted properly. If the animal was not shechted properly, it's nevela. It's the same as a non-Jewish, a non-kosher steak in a supermarket. My brother's friend um, told him that in Israel, like the way that they shecht animals is like a bit, like what happens is a bit dodged. What happens where? Like what happens with them shechted animals, like he's found it to be a bit like. Not proper. Not proper. Well, you know, this, I mean, all right, I, you know, I, I have not investigated myself. Different people will say different things. Uh, but the shechita is very quick. It's just, now, here's the thing. Chickens are shechted. It's like, an, it's like an assembly line. Chickens come across an assembly line. The shechit's dead. And he can actually shecht 60 chickens. Maybe maybe forty a chickens minute? a minute. Whoa. That's how fast it is. Forty yeah, chickens a minute. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but a good hashkacha will not let him do that more than two hours at a time. Right. To put and then he's like two hours on and one hour rest or maybe two hours rest. Because what happens is eventually, you know, you're going to lose the feeling, the sensitivity in your hands, and you're not going to do the right job. And this is a recurring problem because the owners of the meat facilities want the shechita to be as fast as possible, as many chickens as they can get. 
but the shochet has to have rest. He cannot be allowed to continue uh, this. Now, when you're shechting cows, obviously you don't you don't go that fast, uh, but still it can be relatively. Why? Because they're bigger. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're much bigger. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, they're much bigger. A lot of people I know once they've been in the shechita industry, yeah. they stop eating. They stop eating meat. Now, is that is, is, is that because of is that because of kosher or because yeah. they they? The kosher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, all, every person that works in shechita industry is that I see what goes on there. I don't trust them, and they shut it down. Uh, you know, because of kosher. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the shechita has to be the area of the throat. The throat. It can't be, you know, above, above the neck or below the neck. It has to be the neck, the throat. So here is something you may have heard. Do you know that there are many animals that are kosher that are commonly not eaten? Deer, deer is called, most deer are kosher. A giraffe is a kosher animal. You heard that? Giraffe is a kosher animal. So theoretically... You can have, because a giraffe chews its cud, it's a long cud, it's a long neck, and a giraffe has split hoofs. So why don't we eat it? So, no, no, here's the thing. So what I heard as a child, and a lot of people have heard this, is we don't know where to shecht it because its neck is so long. That is not true. Because if the neck is long, you can shecht it anywhere on the neck. So to say we don't know where to shecht it, it's not MS. So our chickens are easy, then they have one neck. Yeah, yeah, anywhere in the neck is fine. Anywhere in the neck is fine. So the problem with the giraffe is not that you don't know where to shecht it, but it's very hard to shecht it. <laughs> uh, first of all, giraffes are, uh, can be aggressive animals, you know, especially when they think you're trying to cut their, cut their throat. Yeah. So uh, I'm a shochet, I'm on the ladder trying to shecht the giraffe. The giraffe gives a, gives a kick and I'm, I'm gone, right? So as a result, we don't, uh, we don't do it, but technically a giraffe is 100% kosher animal and you can shecht anywhere on the neck. It has to be the soft part of the neck. It cannot be from the back. So what's the issue with giraffes? No, I said the, the reason you is... You can do it anywhere. Isn't that what's the issue? Yes. There is, there is no issue. It's just it's not practical to shift it. That's all. Why? Because the giraffe will attack you. I mean, the giraffe is a gigantic animal. The giraffe is 10 feet... You, you have, oh. The giraffe is 10 feet tall. So you're going to have to stand on a ladder to shift the giraffe. And the giraffe sees you bringing a knife to its throat. It's going to kick you over, you know. Can you, like, paralyze it first and then do it? Oh, so that's an interesting question. Let, 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 me, let, me, go, let me go over this. Okay, guys, the uh, question was, can you paralyze it first? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so let, me mention, let me mention a related, this is not yet your question, but it's a related question. And that is, uh, when various European governments wanted to ban Shechita, Belgium, Belgium just did it, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just yeah. Uh, or at least they're the process of doing it, yeah, yeah. By the way, Switzerland has banned shechita for many, many years, even though there are many, there are many religious Jews in Switzerland. I don't understand. No, no, because they claim it's not. They they claim it's not humane. So how do they eat kosher meat? They ship it? They ship it. Now, again, Switzerland is a small country. You cannot get. Uh, there's no kosher meat that is produced in Switzerland. But again, Switzerland is such a small country that you know getting it from another country is like getting it from New Jersey to New York. It's not a, it's not a big deal, huh? They can't do that in the United States because all the mafias and they're not the reason. No, the United States has shkita. Yeah, sure. I'm saying, but they'll never ban it there because there's too many powerful people. Well, you'll see with the liberals and the Democratic Party. You never know. With the new administration, you never know. I'm terrified. You never know. My mom wants me to come home. 
right. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, <laughs> sa safer, safer here than there. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It'll never be bad here, right? That's so not true. You never well, we'll have problems, but like it, it won't be won't be as bad as America. Okay. It's so difficult for them to like the leftists to be like, those cool." No, but we're in charge way more. I mean, the leftists may ban the leftists may ban circumcision. They may ban bris mitzvah, not just not just not just shchita, not just shchita. You know, somebody told me in South Africa, uh, because of the lockdown, you're not allowed to have any, any minion at all. No minion is allowed. Uh, but you're allowed to go to the cinema, to the movies. Uh, you're allowed to... Uh, so the only thing that's not allowed is, is religious services. Oh, the what? Hey? Yes. Well, okay, okay. I, I want to say I want to mention something. Shechita. Okay, here, here's a very important point. Slaughtering is not cruel to the animal. That that's MS. That's 100 percent true. But 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 there are things that we do to the animals before the shechita that may be cruel and may not be right. So some of the ways the chickens are treated yeah. in kaparos are not right, and and they they should be fixed. You're penning these, depending on where, thousands of chickens in these narrow places, they can't move, etc. Uh, so, you know, the halacha, there is a halacha that you're not allowed to cause unnecessary pain to animals. That's called sar balechaim. That's very important. That is an isr da'oraisa, a Torah prohibition, not to cause so pain to animals. I kill a bug, it's a problem. So the question is, do bugs feel pain? That, that's the question. So Some say bugs don't feel pain. Or is something on an end dead? You, you kill a bug right away. It didn't suffer yeah, necessarily. Didn't, yeah, yeah. So, so, so here's the thing. Shechting is not absolutely not a problem. Shechting is in the Torah. It's a mitzvah. It's fine. Uh, you make a bracha on it. The shochet. Uh, it's not sarvalichaim. But there is the pre-shechita treatment of animals that is sometimes a problem. Uh, this is true for chickens. Uh, this is true for veal. Right? What, are, what is veal? Veal is a young calf. Now, some people love the veal because it's like white meat. It's like very light. Uh, so it's very soft and silky. So how do you get a calf to have such soft meat? Feed it. You feed it, you stuff it and stuff it and stuff it, and you don't allow it to move. You put it in a pen. It, has, it, it can't move more than two inches. So it gets fat because it, it has no muscle. Right? It doesn't move. And that way you get this wonderful, silky, great meat that people love. But that is, that is cruelty to animals. That is cruelty to animals. So I'm not going to say it's forbidden to eat veal. You know, because you, I'm not going to say you're not allowed to eat veal. But I think there is something to think about, that you don't want to participate in animals that are treated in a cruel way. So you have to differentiate. If somebody were to say, I think it's cruel to shecht animals for human consumption, that would be sheker. That would not be true. If the Torah says this is humane, then it's humane. And not only does the Torah say it, you don't need anything beyond the Torah, but all science says the same thing. Shechita is very, very humane. The animal dies very quickly. It does not feel pain. But there's a lot of stuff we do. In fact, you know the so way... On what basis do, do people ban so a lot, of, a lot of it is anti-Semitic. It's, it's frankly anti-Semitic. Yeah. There, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the uh, European Union. This is well known, and Shechita is a famous protest, a, a pretext rather. One of the first things Hitler did, Hitler, the great humanitarian who cares about uh, 
morality so much. Before the Holocaust, this is before the Holocaust, before he was rounding up Jews, was he banned Shechita in Germany because it was inhumane. Right? So this was commonly a very, very well-known anti-Semitic pretense uh, to be hard on the, hard on the Jews. Okay. Now your question: Can you can you uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it, it Paralyze the animal before yeah. shechita. So the gedolim were not in favor of it because they thought that that might cause some possible damage. Huh? Nope. The gedolim, the great yeah. rabbis, were not in favor of any type of stunning the animal uh, before shechita. So although halachically it might be okay, but, but they would not encourage it. And listen, uh, you can live without a giraffe, right? <laughs> the yeah. fact that you can't eat giraffe meat is not so much of a, is not so much of a problem. You can live without veal. You can live without veal too, yeah. You can live without veal too. Okay, so, so here's the thing. Uh, it's okay to be a little bit of an animal activist. Uh, Doesn't the sheikha have to um, love animals or something? Um, I'm not aware of that requirement per se. Uh, in fact, the Gemara says the other way around, that shochtim sometimes will naturally have an instinct for cruelty, they, you know, the fact that they could do this. Uh, but, but still, uh, first of all, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, by the way, the idea of shechting an animal is actually for the benefit of the animal, not just for your benefit. Because the animal is obviously a much lower level of life. Remember, there are five levels of physical life in the world, right? There is what is called like levels of animal soul. Mm -hmm. There is the soul, the life force of the domain. The domain is the inanimate. Even a stone has a neshama. A, you know, maybe animal soul is not even the right word, but it has an inanimate soul. It's the chiyos of Hashem in that rat. And then the higher level is someach, plant, and then the higher level is chai, animal. And the higher level is medaber, speaker, which is man. And then Yisrael is said to be a fifth level. Oh, I know we're on level. Yes, we're a different level, we're a different level. So there is a concept in Kabbalah that when I take the lower level and I incorporate it in the higher level, the lower level now becomes raised to a higher level. So, so when I eat, when I eat uh, a carrot, right, so I'm elevating, the, or when, say when the cow, when the cow eats the, car, eats the straw, whatever it is, the cow is elevating the tzomeach to the chai. When I eat the chai, I'm elevating the chai to the medabra. If I'm a Jew, I'm elevating it from the chai to the Yisrael. So, some, alpi Kabbalah, there's an argument that not only are you allowed to eat meat? But if you don't eat meat, you're doing the animal a disservice because you're not giving the animal the elevation that it's supposed to uh, receive. Uh, they tell an old Hasidic story about a great, great rabbi who died and he was brought to Shemayim and they went over his deeds, good deeds, bad deeds, and it was found that he was perfectly righteous and they're about to send him to Olam Abba. And all of a sudden, a big fat duck comes waddling in and say, I'm going to, I want to talk. So this duck shows up in the basin in Shemayim. And the duck says, I was shechted to be at a, be served for a Shabbos meal. And the rabbi looked at my lungs and poskened I was not kosher, but really I was kosher. So this rabbi deprived me of my aliyah 
my elevation to a higher level of existence. So because of this, this is a story, I don't know if it's true, but the story goes that there was a psak that the rabbi's neshama had to go back on earth and uh, Gilgal, and somehow he got redeemed only when he poskined on a duck, another duck, that <laughs> the duck was kosher, and the duck was elevated, and he was masake, and he rectified. That's why I think all the cats are Gilgal. Yeah, it could be, it could be. I remember in, in Sfats, uh, we used to have, uh, my, in my other yeshiva, we used to uh, have Shabbaton, well, we still have, before COVID, we had Shabbatons in Sfats, and often there would be these, like, uh, or Sameach, it's the, you know, do you know or Sameach? It's the, yeah, yeah yes. famous. Yeah, I know you some of them. Do I run it? Uh, I don't run it, I'm one of the, one of the people in or Sameach. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I know that sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, you, you folks have shiduchim with guys uh, with or Sameach. So I'm aware of uh, the cross-fertilization there. Uh, but, um, so in Tzvat, when we used to go to Tzvat, there were these big dogs that would always show up for every shear, every class that was given. These dogs would come to the back of the base Knesset, and they would just listen, like sit quietly and listen, and then they would walk away after the shear. So, it, you know, who knows? They're like Gilgulim of somebody. Yeah, yeah. They hang around, so it's, it's, it seems that like they're Gilgulim of somebody. Of somebody. Yeah. Yeah, did you, have, uh, did you want to say something? Uh, I, I, you have your hand up? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so where does it say that if you don't eat meat, like you're not giving the animals out? No, so this is brought down in, in, in certain Kabbalistic works. Um, so, okay, but not, not everybody would agree with that. I mean, um, all right, so now let me talk about vegetarianism a little bit in terms of, yeah. Seafood, sea animals. Yes. We don't touch any sea animals, right? We don't eat any seafood, like crabs. Well, well, let me put it this way. But we, we eat fish. Oh, true. I don't eat fish. Uh, well, okay, but uh, <laughs> do you have fish We eat fish. Absolutely not. I don't eat fish. Well, no, whatever. whatever. You, 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 don't, you don't. You don't. You don't have to well, eat no, fish. Okay, I, I mean, Although it says Sadika, Sadika are reincarnated as fish. One of the yeah, reasons why we eat fish on Shabbos is because we are kind of incorporating the soul of, of the Sabbath. No, okay, so that's, that's an important point. Fish do not have to be shechted. That's very important. And the blood of fish, even though you would want to eat it, the blood of fish is not forbidden. Uh, fish are so bloody. Fish blood is not a trait. And fish don't have to be shechted. Okay, about seafood, there yeah. are restaurants in Israel that sell seafood. Wait, when I say seafood, I mean like fish, uh, <laughs> uh, shellfish. Uh, so those, those, so, so, so those are tra- those are tra- those are tra- those are, tra- those are trade restaurants. Those are trade. They have that head. Oh yeah. They have pork in Israel. Not 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 every restaurant in Israel is kosher. I'm I'm, I'm not talking about rabbanot. Where do they have pork restaurants? Tel Aviv. Yeah, a lot. Tel Aviv. It's shocked. It's called it's called it's called basar lavan. When it says white white meats in Israel means pork. Now, it is against the law in Israel to raise pigs. It's interesting. I don't know why the Medina passed the law, because it's a religious law, but, but they passed it. You're not allowed to raise pigs in Israel. Yeah, yeah, you can't. Well, maybe a pet, well, maybe a pet, but you can't raise it commercially for meat. Uh, but there are restaurants that sell pork, absolutely. Well, I'm not asking about it, Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't every restaurant in Israel have to be sanctified? No. 
No. No. No. Now, Baruch Hashem in Yerushalayim is. Yes. Yeah. Well, in Tel Aviv, every, uh, every uh, diner you go to, only a few yeah, of them are kosher. Why do they have a diner right there? I mean, I mean, Yerushalayim, uh, yeah. there are very few. There are, there, I'm a vegetarian. There are trade restaurants even in Yerushalayim, but very few, okay. very few. Book, book? Uh, I think maybe one or two, very, very few. Do you know that my uh, friend... Pork yeah. is better for a Jew to be selling pork than mixing milk and meat. You think so? Uh, uh, no, you, 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 you have a point. You have a point. Meat and milk is what is. That's correct. That's correct. But but they're both bad. Yeah. This is my story. Basically, my friends traveled to Thailand yeah. um, in the summer, and she um, said that they were like walking and they were like start. They were looking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just pulled. <laughs> my friend went. Yeah. What are you saying? Spit it out. My friend went to Thailand, and she was with friends, and they were walking, and they saw a restaurant with Hebrew right, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, find me kosher." They go inside and there was like pork hanging from the ceiling. It was really restaurants. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had to come from the Israelis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is there a certain way to kill fish? <laughs> no. Why did they come and save the nerves? I said you were about wild ones. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, fish, when fish are taken out of water, they die. But often they, they, will, they will hit the fish with a, with a stick or something. Offside. Yeah. yeah. Or a steak or a, a mallet of sorts, but but but, but often so well, that's one of the ways. But other times they just the, the fish just dies when it's out of water, but it doesn't die right away. That's the thing. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, it's so sad. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I heard something once that said, like, people who have a natural inclination. To kill should be shot. Um, should be shot. I heard. Should I heard like? Oh wait. Yeah. Oh, so this yeah, is. If someone is born by the same thing, yeah. they should either be a mother. Right. This is a famous Gemara that right, if you're yeah. born yeah. under a certain yeah. constellation I of Mars, Mars, huh? Oh. Can work, can girls right. be shochet? Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, according to the halacha, they could, yeah. but the custom is so they do. Should, no, but listen. Oh, are you, are you, you like to kill? <laughs> the. No, but it's what's on the that a woman should not shecht because we are afraid she will faint because of the blood. Oh, that's me. That's a thing. <laughs> that a, a woman should not shecht because we are afraid she will faint. I will not because faint. Of blood. I'm not a fainter. <laughs> I stand by the breast as close as possible. I like okay. blood. I like We know a woman can be a moel, right? We have a proof, right? Sipora, circumcised, uh, Moshe, so, or is, that? is there something to be said that they're a psychopath? Well, listen, no, no, I mean, listen. You were starting to say if you have, no, no, one second. The, the Gemara says the following. If you're born under the planet Mars, if you're born under the planet Mars, the red planet, you will have a tendency to violence. So you can either become a shochet or a mohel or a murderer. Now, of course, of course, of course. But if you're really, if you're really psychotic, you, should, you shouldn't be a shochet either. I, I mean, we're not talking. Baruch Hashem, shochet are not psychotic. Shochet are very fine people. They're righteous people. 
Uh, they're learning people. It, not everybody can do it. I, I, I couldn't. Can. I, I couldn't. I feel like everyone's like, they have to like, yeah. like animals. Like if someone hates animals, or if they can't be such a you know, I, I never, I never heard that, but it'd be interesting. I'll look into it. It'd be an interesting idea that. Uh, I don't care what yeah. makes a person be like. I want to be a shochet. Like, exactly. I, really I have a friend, and I really want to know why. Why a person wants to be a shochet? Yes. So you have a friend who is a shochet? He's like becoming one. So, so what? So ask your friend. Why, why does he want to be a show? No, I'm scared. <laughs> We're scared that it's no. crazy. You can no. Chas <laughs> v'shalom. First of all, first of all, look at it this way. There are shochtim who live in very isolated areas where where there's literally yeah, nobody else. No, no, but that means no. That means that people wouldn't have kosher meat if you weren't a shochet. It's not like, you know. So you're supplying you're supplying people with something that they really really need. So, so that's a great, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Like you had Shoftim in Russia. Well, the Gemara gives us a story. Is there a thing that you're not supposed to, like, I don't know, I heard like you're not supposed to kill an animal and like, they like enjoy it. And it not, not enjoy it, but like have like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm killing it. Like be sad and like, like have remorse while killing it because then the, the, I don't know. No, when you when you do a mitzvah, it has to be besimcha. <laughs> when a shochet shechs, he has to think, I'm doing a mitzvah of Hashem in order to give the Jewish people kosher food. Uh, this is a great, great mitzvah. Uh, and, and you're not causing the animal suffering. And, have you ever done uh, it? it, it huh? Have you ever done it? No, no, I have, I've never shechted an animal, no. Are you scared? I'm uh, terrified. I'm not planning on doing it. I mean, I mean, I, it's not something I want to do. Yeah. But, 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 but it is a mitzvah. I was liberal. You make a, you make a. <laughs> 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 I was a vegetarian for ten years. Okay. 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 So now, let me just summarize a little bit about vegetarianism, just so you get the basic idea. A person could be a vegetarian for a lot of reasons, and some of the reasons are good reasons, and some of the reasons are bad reasons. If I, if I, if I am a vegetarian because of health, that's a good reason. I'll, I'll talk about Shabbos in, in a moment. If I am a vegetarian because I am protesting the pre-Shechita treatment of animals, like the penning up of veal or the crowding of chickens, that is also a good reason, because animals should not be mistreated or abused in any way. Those are good reasons. If, on the other hand, I am a vegetarian, because I think it's ethically wrong to kill animals for human consumption, that is a bad reason, because you're second-guessing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that animals can be killed for human consumption, and, and so when you say what Hashem says is allowed, is wrong morally, that is called a kefira. You are denying the truth of Hashem's Torah. So you see the difference here. If I'm, if I'm so not I'm eating... for 10 years. Huh? I thought it was bad to kill like, animals. Like, okay, like, so you didn't know. I mean, okay, I mean, you didn't know. It was, uh, well, you didn't well, know. Well, you've done, you've done, uh, you've done shuva. 
Okay? Also, but I'll, but I'll, I'll give you a cook's view, which actually may support you. Is, is abuse, there are abuse in those No, no. So again, if you want to protest the abuses to animals. I'm saying non-kosher meat, they're literally abused. Okay. All right. That's true. That's true. That's true. Okay? So you can obviously, again, you can absolutely protest the way animals are treated, but you cannot be against the idea of shechita itself, because that's against Hashem's Torah. Now, Let's assume you're a vegetarian for good reasons. Either it's health, or uh, you want to conserve resources. Let's assume you say that, uh, you know, some, some argue that meat is economically very wasteful because for every pound of beef, you need, I don't know the exact number, but you need 20 pounds of grain. So instead of using 20 pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef, you have 20 pounds of grain that 20 people could eat, right? So some have argued that this is wasteful. So, so let's assume you're a vegetarian for a good reason. Are there times when halacha says you have to eat meat? Let's talk about Shabbos and Yom Tov. So you don't have to eat meat, Shabbos and Yom Tov. You have to enjoy yourself. Oh, so, that, that's yeah, yeah, so, so I just want to discuss, I just want to mention it. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're correct. You have to have so no, no, that's, that's the question. Is there, a, is there a chiyuv? Chiyuv means obligation. Yeah, I'll get to that too, yeah. So, so here, uh, the, the post can say there is no obligation to eat meat. The obligation, is, as you say, is to enjoy Shabbos. To enjoy Shabbos. It's called Onik Shabbos. And Onik Shabbos can be fulfilled by whatever it is you like to eat. So if you don't like to eat meat, whether it's because whether it's you don't like meat, let's say you just don't like meat, or, or you don't want to eat meat because you have a legitimate vegetarian philosophy, you would be permitted not to eat meat on Shabbos. That's fine. Now, Yom Tif is a little more complicated because on Yom Tif, uh, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, there were special korbanos that were brought on Yom Tif. These were called peace offerings. And uh, there was a chiv on men and women, men and women, to eat the meat of the peace offering. Now, it didn't have to be a lot, but to eat the meat of the shlamim. So the big question is, so in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, you could not be a vegetarian totally on Yom Tif. You would have to eat some of the meat of the peace offering. The question is, what about Bizman Hazeh? Today, are we still obligated to eat meat as a commemoration of the Beis HaMikdash? Some opinions do say yes, which would mean that you would have to have a spoonful of chopped liver or something, just a little bit of meat. Other opinions say no. Other opinions say that even today, uh, you don't have to eat uh, meat. So, yep, so, so I would say Shabbos is a is a is simple that you don't have to uh, eat uh, meat. Yumtif there would be a machlokas, but there still would be a halachic basis uh, for not uh, for not doing so. So uh, yeah. Someone who likes to be conscious, I am vegetarian. Is he gonna have to have before he eats meat, like annul his vow? Uh, well, if he made a vow, he'll have to annul his vow. Yeah. Yeah, he can't yeah. have the carbon. If what, say again? Oh, you're asking me can he eat? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, okay. No, 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 no. So, so there, no. There you're correct. With his, yeah, I misunderstood the question. With respect to the carbon, he would not have to annul this vow because his vow cannot take effect to violate the Torah. Right, if a person made a vow, uh, I'm not going to uh, eat matzah at the Seder, uh, it, it doesn't count. He eats matzah at the Seder. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Now, with all, so everything that we've said, yeah. I have a question about Kaparos then, because I was like, this year I did it for the first time, and I've 
so terrified, and I felt so bad for the animal. I was like, like, is that is that a sin then? Because you said you can't really. No, no. So, so again, I want to go back. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, be critical of anybody's minhag, uh, but the truth of the matter is. Um, the way kaparas are done with chickens today, there there are there are sarbali. So abusive. No, you you are you are correct. You are correct. My rabbi brought me the chickens, and four of them were shoved in a little thing, a little cute, and they like like their their eyes and. You you are correct. In fact, they're, 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 again, I mean, I know I know Chabad's minhag is to keep the chicken kaparas, so I'm not going to uh, tell you not to do it. But there are there are rabban there, there are rabbanim that say based on the conditions of kaparas today. You should do kaparis with money rather than chickens. You know they're two men hugging, right? I really don't like Some that. people do the kaparis with the chicken. You don't like which one? I don't like that. Why? Chicken. Why? Well, you like you already said you like the shech chicken. Okay. <laughs> I like chickens, and I don't think we should do money. But you think their last few minutes of life should be literally torture? It's not torture. Shaykh doesn't make the. I'm not, we, that's not no, no, the problem is not shofar. The way that compared it to that, the whole thing is very terrible. What's the chef that's not? But the whole before this. Yeah. The, yeah. the issue is that. Yeah. Is you know, it, it is an issue. Now, now here's the thing I would yeah, divide. I love holding chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would recommend this. There are in Yushalayim even. Maybe talk, talk to your uh, teachers. There are, there are in Yushalayim certain chicken kaparas places. That are striving to uh, treat the ch- be more humane to the chickens before shechita. No. So you, they didn't have that issue. It's only now. That's right. That's right. Used to be just one chicken. You know, right. and yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things. So I think you know. I, I, I don't want to be a troublemaker, but one of the things you might talk about is uh, could we find a kaporis place that that treats the chickens? Uh, okay, I'm really. Because chicken is a uh, that's correct. That's so, correct. I'm going to open up a company called <laughs> noabuseanimals.com. You really don't, you think money is better? Do you feel like money? you're giving your avarice to money? Uh, I was like, no. But you know what? You don't give your avarice to money. It's not better. It's not instead of you. What money do you give avarice? The chicken is meant to die. You can't right. so feel like you. the money is not dying. Everything I was always talking about. The chicken is all the chicken, so. the chicken, the chicken, the chicken. And I was always like, no, 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 I'm vegetarian, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then this year I was like, oh, I'm going to do it because everyone makes it seem so good. No, when my rabbi literally brought these crates of the chickens, they're literally, and he throw, like, they get thrown right back in the crate. Like, it's yeah. so horrible. If they were so nice... It's something to talk It's something to talk about, and, and uh, people are concerned. I mean, the, I think the rabbi Rashi, Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Lau is the chief rabbi, uh, said this past year... Yeah, of Israel, yeah, Rabbi Lau. His father was chief rabbi, and now he's chief rabbi. Uh, he said... I mean, again, he's not a, he's not the pasuk for Chabad, but he said that uh, kapara should not be done with, with uh, kapara should not be done with chickens. I would love for kapara to be done with chickens if they people want to. Okay, so I'm telling you that that I believe in Yerushalayim there are places that are trying to make it better. Uh, so maybe talk to your rabbim about that. That way, that way you get the best of both worlds. Okay, so. all right. It's something to, to to be connected to. So now let me well, mention. So, like so, Bikitzer, so, 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 I just want to say that you do have a, a, you do have a heter halacha heter to be a vegetarian, <laughs> as long as your motives are, are the right motives I, rather than the wrong motives. I just want to also say that, like in a lot of cases, like the people who run kaparas are yeshiva bachur, and they're like they don't know what they're doing. They're not the ones taking the cards. Someone would offer. Yeah. 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 I'm going to say another thing, which maybe I shouldn't say, that unfortunately a, a lot of uh, kids in religious neighborhoods, uh, 
treat animals very poorly. Think about the cat. Think about the cats. We have all these wild cats, but they pull the cat's tail. They throw rocks at the cats. You know, so uh, this is not right. Um, the Gemara says that if you treat animals cruelly, you eventually become cruel towards other other people. And the Gemara gives a story about Rav Hanasi, the author of the Mishnah, Rebbe, Rav Hanasi, the great author of the Mishnah, that he was once walking in the street and a calf was being led to slaughter. And the calf escaped and tucked its head under his coat, Aww. begging for mercy. And he pushed the calf away and he said, Rav Hanasi, this is your destiny. Go to your death. That moment, it was decreed in Shamayim that because he did not have compassion over animals, he suffered excruciating illness, pain, like a cancer. Hit him right then. And it was for many, many years. And you know how it went away? He was suffering, and there were field mice in his house, and the maid was going to sweep away the field mice. And he just said, let them stay. Hashem's compassion is on everything. And that very second, his pains went away. That wow. lasted for so many years. There's like a sad impression if you put a picture of him in your house. Because <laughs> bites right yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's okay. I'm never eating meat again. Uh, or a child or something. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I'm never eating meat again. Huh? I'm never eating meat again. No. Isn't there a place or something yeah. where it says like, someone who like limits itself and doesn't eat everything when he goes to Shemaya, and I'm like, I'm never eating meat again. You're meant to, like, yeah, there's a passage in the Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi, that says a person is going to give an accounting for every pleasure of the world they could have enjoyed that they didn't enjoy, because Hashem put it there for us to enjoy. Um, yes, but on the other hand, if you have reasons because of the Tsar Bali Chaim, so that's a legitimate reason. Reason, reason to do it. So now, though, let me share with you one interesting perspective which goes the other direction, and that is Rav Kook. I should say, Rav Kook. I don't know how much you learn about Rav Kook. Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen Kook. I'm going to say, talk a little bit about him. He was known as the first chief rabbi of, of Palestine. He died before the state of Israel. He died in the 1930s. Rav Kook was and is a very controversial person uh, to this very day. Uh, he actually had a strong connection to Chabad. His mother was of a Chabad family. Uh, his father was not. Uh, but he was very attached uh, to the writings of the Alter Rebbe, Lakute Torah, uh, Tanya, Lakute Torah. Uh, he was not even a Chassid, but he was very, his neshama was very attached to, to Chassidus. And uh, he was a Lithuanian rabbi who came to Eretz Yisrael in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, he was a great, great Talmud Chacham, a great, great Godol, but he was very controversial because he, was, he, would be, he would befriend even non-religious Jews. He was, you know, he would give them chizok, he would talk to them. These were the Zionists who were building the early pre-state of Israel, and most of the great rabbis felt that these were apikorsim, they were heretics, you shouldn't talk to them. And he would interact with them, and he would build them up in various ways. He was a Zionist. He was a great Zionist, but... Uh, I think but, that was a controversy. He was a religious huh? Zionist. He was like, I think that was also part of the controversy that he was, he merged Zionism with religious. That's correct. That's correct. He was a religious... He was, he was, in fact, he was... When you talk about religious Zionism, he was the right. great figure of religious... Isn't that still a rough cook? Like his yeah, 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 y
Yes, yes, yes. Uh, some live in Yerushalayim, some live in Rechavot. Uh, in Kiryat Moshe, there's a big yeshiva called Merkaz Harav. What do they look like? The co- what about the Siberians? No, they look, they look like any Haredi. I mean, you know, black, black hat, yeah, yeah, black hat, black jacket, yeah, yeah. What about Tiberias? Huh? Rabbi Cook and Tiberias. I don't know. Which, I mean, they're all related, but I don't know. Some of them are nieces and nephews. Some of them are not direct uh, children. Um, so Rav Cook was, to this day, very, very controversial. Now, he was both a great halachic scholar, he was a mystic, he was a makubal, he was a poet. Uh, his writings are very, very hard to figure out sometimes. Some people say that they, they're like Karl Bach, Rav Cook. <laughs> they're combining because, because again Rav Cook's big thing was loving every Jew caring about every Jew uh, not looking down at people so Karl Buck was the same way so uh, people like to say so when I love everybody and I hug everybody so you say Karl Bach, Rav Cook I mean there were two different people but, uh, but it's just a combination of feel good Judaism so to speak but, but whatever but Rav, Rav Cook was a great was a great great person uh, people sometimes in the Haredi world, look down at him, make fun of him, and that's mamish, mamish. So oh, sir. The Rebbe had a comment about Rav Kook, it was interesting. Uh, the, Rebbe, the Rebbe had a comment about Rav Kook. The Rebbe said uh, that Rav Kook was very great, but he was trying to combine too many different things at the same time, which is, which is interesting. Because Rav Kook was like taking from everything and trying to bring it together. And the Rebbe felt sometimes uh, people get mixed up, they get confused because you're combining like opposite things. But that's a very good description that Rav Cook tried to bring yes. everything, uh-huh. everything together. And he was able to do it. He was at that Madrega, but the followers nece- aren't necessarily able, able to do it. So Rav Cook has an essay. Now people say, if you Google this, you'll see, oh, Rav Cook was a, veg- was a, was a vegetarian. No, no, no. So I want to tell you, you're going to, you, if you look this up, you're going to see that. I want to correct that's a mistake. Rav Cook was not a vegetarian. Rav Cook did eat meat on Shabbos and Yom Tov. Yeah, but not during the week. But, but Rav Cook did write something about vegetarianism that's very interesting. He points out that before the flood, before, do you not remember this? Before the flood... Adam and Chava and all the generations before the flood were not allowed to eat meat. They could only eat uh, vegetable and grain. And it's only after the flood that Hashem allowed us to eat meat. So Rav Cook says, when the future Geula comes at some point, we will reach the Madrega of Adam HaRishon in Gan Eden. Vegetarianism will eventually come back as the ideal state of life. And even the karbanot in the Beis HaMikdash will eventually, not right away, will eventually be vegetarian. Will it allow more meat? Huh? What is it going to be? No, they'll be like meal offerings, you know, grain offerings. Well, we even, even now, Beis HaMikdash has menachos. What about like lab made meat? Oh, I'll tell you, yeah, I was going to talk, I'll, I'll talk about that maybe next week. I don't know if I can you get to that today. We'll talk about lab meat and, yeah, I'll, I'll mention that in a moment. Now, Rav Cook then says the following, though. This is very interesting. So, if vegetarianism is the highest level, why shouldn't we be vegetarians now? So, this is very important. He makes the following idea. To go to the higher level before you've reached the lower levels is very destructive. The way vegetarianism is supposed to work is 
you first perfect your relationship to other human beings. And then, when you perfect your relationship to other human beings, you move to the next level of reverence for the life of animal, for animals. But if you try to jump a level, then it may actually be destructive. This is a very interesting thought in spiritual growth. You don't jump to a higher level until you've built a foundation of the lower level. So when we perfect our love for our fellow Jew, our love for our fellow human being even, then we move to treat the animal the same way. You know, there's a very famous, the leader, there's a movement in the world called Animal Liberation that actually, you know, protects animals. It doesn't want uh, PETA, PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals. The founder of PETA is a Jew, happens to be a Jewish guy, a professor in Princeton University, Peter Singer, who's very anti-religious, but but, uh, Peter Singer. And... Peter Singer is a real, real, real advocate for animals. Animals shouldn't be, you know, slaughtered. They shouldn't be killed, nothing. They shouldn't be used for drug testing. But Peter Singer once said that a chimpanzee at one year old has more uh, intelligence than a human baby at one year old. And therefore, if you had to choose who you should save, you should save the chimpanzee. Which means... When you try to make animals equal to people, instead of elevating the animal, you're actually degrading the person. In other words, making animals like people is like making people like animals. And I I know you can't prove anything by stories, but Adolf Hitler was a vegetarian. Hitler was a vegetarian because he had such reverence for animal life, he didn't want to kill animal life. Well, it didn't bother Hitler to kill uh, human human life uh, too much. So this is Rav Cook's important point. On one hand, Rav Cook does say vegetarianism is a higher spiritual level that we will eventually come to in Yemot HaMashiach. But Rav Cook says it is not yet the madrega, madrega, it's not yet the level that we're supposed to reach today. So the reason I'm bringing up Rav Cook is number one, it's an interesting point. Number two, people will always say Rav Cook was a vegetarian. That's not true. It is, he was not a vegetarian. Okay. So now let me just begin uh, what you had asked, and that is, now meat has one big drawback. Any Jewish person knows, religious person knows, and that is, can't have milk and ice cream for six hours or three hours or whatever it would be, right? So the great, the great. In fact, what did they say? They say, what is the definition of a content Jew, a happy Jew? Uh, you're milchik and you davened mincha already. It's, like, it's not a worry on your head, so to speak. Right? That's the definition of a secure Jew. So the question becomes, uh, what about par of meat? Oh, so I don't mean par. What about, just, I, I don't think par of meat is... No, 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 I, I, know, I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to one thing. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about laboratory created meat. Where they yeah. use the cell. I understand exactly, exactly. But I, but I want to start with regular par of meat. Let's first start with regular par of meat. Soy, protein. Now, you can have either combination. You can have real meat and uh, artificial cheese. Or you can have uh, artificial uh, soy meat and real cheese, yeah. or you can have soy, soy, whatever it would be. We appreciate that. Yeah. So, so, so general, generally speaking, as you, as you imagine, uh, part of meat is perfectly fine, although it's not so obvious. I mean, it's widely accepted, 
But in truth, there were originally some halachic problems with it because of the principle that we call maris ayin. What does maris ayin mean? Appearances sake. And that is, if I'm eating meat that happens to be soy protein, but it looks like a hamburger, or if I'm having soy cheese on my hamburger, and it looks like real cheese, so even if it's not, if people are going to think I'm doing an Avera, it's not proper. That is called marisayan. And the same thing is true with coffee creamer or another, any, any milky-looking-like thing. Is there a problem of marisayan? The, the answer is that there, there, there was a problem, but, but the basic halacha says today that since these products are so widely available today, they're common, right? They're very available, so that takes away the marisayan. So as a result, you can have your par of cheeseburger with either par of cheese or uh, par, of, uh, par of meat. But the issue that you raised is a much more difficult issue, and that is real meat, real meat, not artificial meat, that is created in the laboratory. Uh, stem cell meat. Now, how do, how do they do it? How do they do it? They take a cell, or a few cells, more than one cell, from an animal. They take it from a cow, from a, from a goat, from a sheep, whatever it would be, and they take cells. Now, the cells are microscopic. They can take 100 cells. Uh, it's not visible to the naked eye. And they put it in a Petri dish, and they give it nutrients and the okay. like, and the cells replicate, right? They replicate, they, they grow, keep on growing and growing and growing, and eventually you have Th uh, hundreds of fibers, meat fibers, and if you have enough fibers, it looks like you have a piece of meat. Now, the process of making laboratory meat, again, be sure you understand this, this is not soy protein, this is mamish from meat cells. The process of making laboratory meat is very expensive. To make a hamburger... Is really meat? Well, well, we'll discuss it. It, co it, comes, it comes from meat, right? It comes from meat, right? Now, you have to understand, to make a hamburger this way would cost you around uh, $5,000. So it's a $5,000 hamburger at this point. That's nowadays. Huh? No, that's nowadays. Nowadays, a little bit cheaper. Yeah, a little bit cheaper, for sure. All I'm saying is, it's not something that's... Who do they make it for? Why do they do that? Well, well what they're doing is, eventually, uh, it's going to save a lot of... No, no, no it's, not, well, it's not that apparent, but it's going to save a lot of money. You're, gonna have to, you're not going to have to kill a lot of animals. You could take one... From one animal... Mm -hmm you can make uh, a million, a million pounds of meat, right. theoretically, right? So this would save a tremendous amount of money. It would protect the environment uh, from all of the waste. It would also conserve grain, because if I only need one cow to make a million pounds of meat instead of you know, a million cows or whatever, 100,000 cows, then all of that grain that they would be eating, I don't have to, I can use for, for grain, right? So this is laboratory meat. Uh, so right now, as I say, it's not commercially uh, feasible for, for an average person, but eventually it's going to be. It's going it's to be cheaper eventually. The techniques are going to be better. So there's a lot of shyness halakhically about laboratory meat. Uh, first of all, problem number one is aver min hachai. This is another prohibition I have to mention. They use cow cell or meat cell? They take it from a live animal. A live oh, animal. So a live then, animal. So then, yeah. Aver min hachai. A cow is a flesh. Sure. Who told you a cow is not? No, I guess. You also get milk from a cow. That's what I'm saying. The cow, 
Well, it is. No, no. But there's another issue. Well, one second. What is the halacha? What, what is the halacha if I take a cow and I cut off its leg? I'm not allowed to eat it. That is called. That's another prohibition. Aver, olim, min, hachai, from an animal that's alive. In fact, not only am I not allowed to do it, even a non-Jew cannot eat it. Avram and Achai is one of the seven Noahide laws. So question number one is, if I take a meat cell from a live animal, even if it's a kosher animal, do I have a problem of Avram? I don't see why you have a problem. You're not, it's a cell. Okay, so is that, like that, that, right? uh, huh? How do you get it? Like an injection for blood tests? Yeah, it's an injection, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that'll be part of the problem. Is a cell the same as a limb? Right. Right? That's the problem. It is part of the animal. A cell is part of the animal, right? So that's one question. Now, let's assume the other way. Yeah, you really can't do this from meat because meat is dead already. Remember, in order for the cells to replicate, you need a live cell. So you can't do it from a piece of meat. You can't get a cell from a piece of meat, right? So it's all from one. So number one is Abram and Achan. Question number two. If we factor out Abram and Achan, I'll discuss next week, the question is, is it fleshic or parif? Meaning, what is the status here? Is it meat? That's really the question. Is it meat? If it's meat, got to wait six hours. If it's not meat, then it's like soy protein. Right? So the question becomes, when does meat not become meat? Uh, and then, okay, we'll, we'll discuss it. Uh, Suffice it to say... And then, yeah. if you have chef you can't chef it, but then technically when you eat it, you're eating Abraham and Achai. If you're saying no, you're eating out of cells, that, that's, that's Achai, correct. That's then correct. as long as you eat it, you're still doing Abraham and Achai. No, that's the problem. Abraham and Achai says, uh, if it was Abraham and Achai, uh, you are not allowed to eat it. I thought the, the process would not sell it. No, no, no. Uh, there's no issue of, of uh, taking out the Abraham. The issue is okay. eating. It's, it's a consumption prohibition. Okay. Why it would not be meat? Well, the, I, I, I actually agree with you. In other words, my, my own opinion is it is meat. But some say that although the original cell was taken from an animal, because the other cells were cultured, right, and, and there are many more, there are many millions of times more than the original cell, there might be nullification. It's a replica of the first one. Yeah, that, that's good. What did that, you find that's after it was from within a well, uh, again, if you go with the idea of nullification, then it makes no difference what it was. In other words, even if it was right. originally, right? Even so, if it was right, 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 yeah, that would be true as a matter of fact. So we'll discuss next week. But, 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 but I said there are a lot of problems. Uh, there's a problem of Avram and Achai. There's a problem that the animal wasn't shechted. Uh, and uh, the question would be whether the extra cells, the millions and millions of cells that are generated in the test tube, do they retain the status of the original source, or are they treated as something new, which could then uh, annul in a majority, a supermajority, everything that was there? Okay, so that's what that's laboratory meat, and don't confuse that with par of meat. Par of meat. Is, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because it is it, chemically, chemically, it is meat. It is, it is meat. It comes from the meat itself. Yeah. There is another separate secondary problem, and that is the nutrients that they've been growing the cells in are, uh, have a lot of blood in them. So that's, that's really a separate issue, meaning uh, the nutrients itself may make it trace because it's absorbing animal blood. Blood is the 
medium of growth. But that doesn't have to be so. I mean, eventually, they could invent another, another growth medium. Alrighty, so we'll stop here. So next week, we will continue with uh, uh, laboratory meets and some other innovations that are going on in Australia. Okay, take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, By the way, I just want to mention one thing. You know, I, uh, uh, one thing that you might want to do, I, I'm very interested to uh, consider any topic you want to talk about. So,